Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano, live from the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. Well, every year at the NCAA tournament, uh, I think about the teams that are in the tournament, but I also think about my old friend Jerry Palm. He is a bracketologist. He is a... Uh, he is a uh, fan of basketball, I think, as well, and a guy who, frankly, uh, can help you with your bracket because he knows a lot about the teams that made it and the teams that didn't. He's joining us now, Jerry Palm. How are you, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I think about you uh, NCAA tournament time. I think about you other times, Jerry, as well. I don't want you to think I just only think about you at the tournament, but you are. this is what you do. This is how much you what you focus on. How busy was your day like – Friday, Saturday, going into Selection Sunday? Actually, Selection Sunday is the easiest of the days because almost all the work is done by then. There's only five games left. Um, you know, you might have to tweak something here or there. But, um, you know, the the TV schedule, everything else winds down by the time you get to Selection Sunday. And, uh, you know, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, those are significant grinds. I had a 23-hour day on Thursday into Friday, um, you know, so I, I would get, you know, like six hours of sleep in two nights um, instead of one. So, yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's somewhat demanding, but, you know, it's short-term demand. Let me ask you, you know, where your mind was headed to Sunday. What questions remained for you in what the selection committee would do? Pretty much the bottom of the bracket, you know, who would be the, the teams that would get in, who would be the teams that would get left out. You know, there's, I, we always have like four, last four in, first four out. That's all everybody talks about, last four in, first four out. And I don't think I've ever talked about a bubble team more than North Carolina this, this year. Um, there was never any doubt they weren't going to make it um, once they went out, you know, in the conference tournament. But um, the still, I mean, we talked a lot about that team, Um so the, I was just curious as to see who would get in um, and, and who would not. And then there was some, um, you know, question about the fourth number one seed. Would that be Purdue or UCLA? Um, I think when UCLA lost in their conference tournament, that probably settled it. Uh, but uh, Purdue got a challenge from Penn State late. Uh, maybe if Purdue had lost, UCLA still could have been number one. Uh, as it turns out, they were fifth overall. So, um, yeah, I'd but those were basically the questions going into Selection Sunday. When you looked at, you know, some of the teams that maybe didn't get in uh, versus some that did, were there were there teams that, like, who has the biggest beef today uh, that isn't in the field of 68? Nobody. And that's true every year. Now, I had Rutgers as my last team in and Arizona State as my first team out. They were switched by the committee. Um, but every team that got left out gave the committee a reason to leave them out. And if you're out, that's on you. Now yeah. there are six or seven teams in the bracket that also gave the committee a reason to leave them out. 
but they have to put 68 teams in the bracket. So, but if you're given the, if you've got something on your resume that typically doesn't get in the NCAA tournament or the, the something of a red flag, and you don't make it, that's on you. So I have I, this is 30 years of doing this. I've never felt sorry for a team that got left out because they all did something that gave the committee a reason to leave them out. I heard some belly aching about Arizona State. Uh, in the end, what do you think the committee looked at that made them say, "All right, we're we're putting them in the field." I think for Arizona State versus Rutgers, the um, it would be the quality of Arizona State's losses because Rutgers won at Purdue, right? And, and um, Arizona State, although they won at Arizona, that's not that's a good win. It's not as good as beating a number one seed on the road. Um, but Rutgers had four quad three losses. They lost to Minnesota as a 200 net level net team. It just and that was late in the season. So, you know that's. Um, and Rutgers, Rutgers finished poorly. That by itself is not a thing, but they did a fair amount of damage to their resume during that poor finish. Um, they lost um, a lot mag uh, in the uh, beginning of February, I want to say, middle of conference play, one of their bigs, and, and they weren't the same without him, and they just couldn't hold on to the point where they had a good enough resume to get chosen. Jerry Palm is with us, bracketologist, CBS Sports. I'm looking at seedings now, and you got Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and Purdue uh, as one seeds. UCLA and Arizona both uh, ending up as two seeds, along with Texas and Marquette. You got do any of them have a beef? And uh, I, I saw UCLA up close, and I feel like without Jalen Clark, that probably, uh, you know, from a seeding standpoint, hurts you before you've even played in the conference tournament game. But Jerry, anybody have uh, a bellyache there? Um, at the top of the bracket, I mean, you're really kind of picking nits. Um, I thought Kansas should have been the overall number one with the schedule that they played, 17 quad one wins, most of which are against teams in the NCAA tournament. But this committee told us on February 4th or 18th when they did their bracket reveal, that was just three weeks ago, that they liked Alabama, and apparently nothing changed. And they still liked Alabama. Uh, ahead of Houston, they had Kansas third. Um but the the difference there is geographic preference, right? So Kansas is in the Las Vegas region instead of the Kansas City region. That's that's the difference between being the number one overall and number three. Um, you know, so I I don't really have a problem with UCLA as a two. I actually had them as a three after they the top three, number nine overall, uh, when they lost to Arizona because I thought, okay, this just isn't the same team without. Um, Clark, and I thought that they would get pushed down slightly just for that, but the, that didn't happen. They're number five overall, still ahead of Arizona, uh, So uh, even though Arizona beat them two out of three. Jerry, if I can ask you, you know, I know you're big on the Boilers. That's your team. That's your alma mater. I think your kid's still in the marching band at Purdue. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're, they're over in I... Ireland right now. <laughs> Give me an they're idea. The Dublin St. Patrick's Day Parade. Sorry, I love that. Movies. Making that's memories, man. Paper. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Did you get to? Did you? Because you were a band. You were a band guy yourself. You went to band camp. Yes. You I, did, I did. You four years of marching band at Purdue. Yeah. Do they give scholarships in band? Like, were you like like the no, Kevin Durant of the Purdue band? Music. We don't even have a school of music. Oh, nobody there. Nobody majors in music at Purdue. Man. It's the largest university that does not have a school of music. 
That that's why people come to the show to find out the uh, facts about bands and in America, college bands. But let me ask you about Purdue. You've had eyes on them. Uh, what do you like about them? What do you worry about? Um, well, Zach Eady is the thing to like. A seven foot four, three hundred and five pounds, going to be the national player of the year. Dominant post player, unlike we've seen in college basketball. Probably in I, I Duke had a guy um, not that long ago that was a pretty dominant post, but. You know, he's putting up 30 and 10. He's had eight 30 and 10 games already this year, which is the most by a major conference player in probably 20 years. I, I want to say it was in our game notes. Um, so, yeah, but he just, he just controls the game. Uh, and he does it without fouling. He, he never gets in foul trouble. Um, Zach E is, is a force to be reckoned with. If Purdue is hitting their three-point shots, and you've got Zach Eady in the post. You cannot defend him. There's nothing you can do. Um, so, uh, But the three-point shot has been spotty for Purdue. They were two for 20, I think, against Penn State uh, in the championship game, which was a two-point win. So, you know, that's kind of the weakness. Also, they don't really handle full-court pressure very well. They're playing starting two freshman guards, although they have experienced guards that come off the bench. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to go as far probably as their three-point shooting can take them. They don't have to shoot great. It doesn't have to be great. It just has to be, you know, good, you know, serviceable. I mean, they just beat an NCAA tournament team shooting two for 20. So it doesn't have to be great, but it does need to be effective uh, to open up the post for Zach Eady. They're in that East region. Do you see a test, or who do you have circled on your bracket as Purdue advances? Because I know I've got listeners who are filling out their bracket. At what point do they have to start thinking, hey, this could be problematic for Purdue? Game two, uh, especially if it's Memphis, because that's a very athletic team with an NBA guy. And um, so I, I think that really athletic teams could be matchup problems for Purdue. Um, and uh, that's a team that could be a matchup problem for Purdue. Um, so they would have their work cut out. Um, they, they could get Duke in a Sweet 16. Um, or Tennessee, but I, that Tennessee is, they don't have their point guard. I don't expect them to get there, but you know, Duke is a team that Purdue beat in Oregon in that, uh, one of the Phil Knight things, uh, and, and they crushed them. Um, but Duke bigs are a lot better now than they were then. And, uh, so I, I remember watching that game thinking, I don't want to see Duke in four months. Well, now Purdue could see Duke. Um, and then, you know, an elite eight game would be a, possibly a Marquette team that Purdue already played this year and beat by five at Mackey. Uh, but it also could be Kansas State, uh, which is a really good team, um, or possibly someone else. Kentucky's in that bottom half of the bracket. Uh, so, you know, there are some teams in the bottom half of the bracket, which should be a lot of fun, that, that bottom half of that bracket. There's some, there's some pretty good teams. Michigan State there, too. Jeez. I didn't do Marquette any favors either. Um, but, you know, it's um, – so there are definitely some challenges in that region. They did not do Purdue any favors with who they put in their region. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, is with us. Uh, of the one seeds, like, you know, that that's an uncomfortable position for a one seed to say, hey, in our second game, that could be a serious test. Is is any other any of the other one seeds you foresee having uh, a potential issue or maybe a bracket that is even more difficult than the one that Purdue's in? I, I don't think – any of them have the potential matchup problem that Purdue does in, in possibly in game two. Uh, Alabama's got, uh, you know, like their, their region is 
you know, their four seeds, Virginia, who probably should be lower. Uh, their two seed, Arizona, who I, you never know what you're going to get from them. Yeah. Um, and then their three seed is Baylor, who's struggling going into um, uh, the NCAA tournament. They they had a rough end of their season, so they're not really hitting, you know, on all cylinders right now. So I like their path. Uh, Houston's second game could be Iowa. Iowa's capable of shooting 50% from three for a game. I mean, they could just, you know, have one of those days, like they had at Indiana, where you can't defend them, they're hitting everything in sight, and all of a sudden you go home. But that's, that's their only chance. Kansas could get Arkansas. Arkansas is interesting because they've got Nick Smith now. So they, too, have an NBA guy. They're an athletic team. But Smith missed 19 games, and he's only been back for half a dozen and I don't know if they entirely figured out how to play together yet. If they do, I mean, he becomes kind of an X factor, you know, against a team like Kansas. Now, I think Kansas has got too many weapons. It would probably beat them anyway. But, you know, that's that would be an interesting game if, if Kansas can get Arkansas. In the West bracket, UConn is a four seed. Seems to be the sweetheart pick right now by a lot of people. What What are they seeing in UConn? Well, they've got two bigs. Um, that they can um, trade off and play, kind of like Purdue did last year with Travion Williams and Zach Eady. Um, they're maybe not quite that good, but they're pretty good. Um, and they've got good they've got good starters all over the. I mean, all of their starters are good players. So um, they've had uh, they had a tremendous start to their season, went undefeated until like the, the I think the game right before the conference play started. And then they, they struggled early on in conference play. They had the better teams in the league on the road at the beginning of their schedule. Um, but they've gotten back to playing really well. So I think that's what people see in UConn, and they probably should have been higher than a four. So they're a little underseated, and I'm sure that's part of it too. Cherry, before I cut you loose, I'm going to look at some of the 5-12 games because we get some wild upsets there. But does something jump out at you when you look at the various 5-12 games? Well, I picked three of them. Um, the one that I had going through was San Diego State. They're playing Charleston, a team that won 30 games this year, 30-3, and three, but only played one quad one team. That was North Carolina on the road, and they got drilled. So um, I don't know. I mean, San Diego State is, is the grinder, um, and uh, it'll, I don't know. If, I mean, it's probably a better matchup for Charleston than somebody who's, like, big and athletic. But um, – Anyway, I, I still like San Diego State in that game, but I picked the other three, which are Drake against um, Miami. And Miami could be without one of their bigs who had a high ankle sprain in their final game in the ACC tournament. And Drake has got um, Tucker DeVries, who could play at a major conference school, but is playing for his dad at Drake instead. Uh, so they're not going to be uh, that much less talented than the team they're facing. Um, VCU is underseeded because... Uh, they had injuries in non-conference play, couldn't resume build like they normally do, dominated the last half of the A-10 schedule, uh, and their defense is something else. So I like them to beat St. Mary's. And I'm taking a flyer on Oral Roberts. You may remember the pandemic tournament two years ago. Oral Roberts got to the Sweet 16, led by a guy named Max Asmus, who was the nation's leading scorer that year. He's still there. He's only in the top 10 in scoring now. But they still have a couple other guys from that team. So that's a team that already knows they can win in the NCAA tournament because they've done it. And uh, those teams are always dangerous. I love that, man. It's it's such an exciting time of year. And I think the tournament does such a good job of capturing both the men's and women's tournaments. They capture 
America, the single elimination format, the geography yeah. of it, the fact that everybody kind of feels like, you know, they know someone who's in the tournament. I think it really right. works. Uh, what else are they getting right about this tournament and this bracket and maybe the way they do it? And, and I got to ask, Jerry, do you support, like, do you think, you know, expanding this tournament to 80 teams is, does that make you roll your eyes or do you go, hey, more fun? I can succinctly put how I feel about expansion. I'm in favor of going back to 64. <laughs> I'm pretty it. sure that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know if 80 is going to happen. I don't think expansion is imminent. Um, you know, the argument for expansion is that Division One has gotten so much bigger. Division One has gotten so much bigger in terms of a ton of small schools who probably still would not make the tournament if you expand it. Because so they're not expanding for them. They're expanding to get, you know, Rutgers into the field. But not just Rutgers, but maybe even Minnesota into the field. You know? They want Oregon in the um, field. Come on, let's get the Ducks yeah. in the field. Yeah, but yes, but Oregon would get in, but so would Oregon State. I mean, that's the thing. They're, they're expanding to get every <laughs> major conference team in the tournament. Yeah. All of them. Let's just get them all in. They're not expanding to put Robert Morris in the tournament. They're not expanding to put Montana State in the tournament. They're expanding to put, you know, Oregon State in the tournament. Yeah, the Power Five schools, they want more. And and where they'll expand, Jerry, is as soon as television says, hey, we'll pay a little more for a little more inventory. We won't because yeah. who's going to watch except betters? You know, it's because if you're filling out a bracket for your office pool, you're going to wait till it gets to 64 like you do now. No one's filling out an 80-team bracket, right? So you're not going to pay any attention until it gets to 64. Then you're going to pay attention. So the casual fans are not going to care. People betting on games, you know, they'll care, but they, they care about everything. Um, but it's, you know, that's, I don't know if that's enough of an audience to merit a ton of TV money for, you know, more games. All right, give me more Jerry games Palms. More really not quality games. Yeah. Jerry Palms, way too early, Final Four. Well, my uh, impulse bracket had Alabama, Purdue, Texas, and Gonzaga. You like the Zags. Yeah, I like the way they finished the season. The backcourt looks like it's coming around, which was kind of their problem the, the first oh, two-thirds of the season. And then after that loss to St. Mary's, I really like the way they, they finished this season. And they sent quite a message in that last St. Mary's game. You know, that, that Gonzaga team is capable of winning a lot of NCAA tournament games. Jerry Palm, you're the best. I know you're busy. Thank you for working us in. I'll talk to you down the road, and uh, I may see you on the road. Thank you. Oh, that'd be great. Hopefully see you. There he is, Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, bracketologist, former band member at Purdue, picking Purdue. Don't go crazy with your bracket picking Purdue just because Jerry Palm loves Purdue. But I'll tell you, he gave you, some, uh, he gave you a gift with those 5-12 upsets and talking about the potential pitfalls for Purdue in the second game and – how Alabama's path is paved and uh, and whatnot. Uh, Steven, let me ask you this. He talks about the bracket expansion, Judah, the bracket expansion. I want to talk about this more coming up, but he was the most animated at that moment. He was, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The bracket is – it was perfect at 64, right? And so I understood adding the four extra teams with, or the eight extra teams with the first four, but you don't need it. 
You don't need it. 64 was a perfect amount because it fits on one piece of paper. I feel like as soon as you go to, yeah. like, you have to staple a piece of paper, that's when the office pools goes out. That's right. when everything goes away. You need the one sheet of paper. So I'm with Jerry Paul on this. Keep it at 64 or the fire. I'm fine with the first four as a gambler. Like, I'm cool with that, too, but you got to keep it at that number. Mediocrity added to the tournament, but, uh, you know, they are talking about 80 and uh, potentially putting a first four matchup in each region instead of just one, uh, you know, for the tournament. So, like, that's the thing. Like, I don't need to see Colorado in the NCAA tournament, right? Like, that, like you may. And that's the thing. That's what we would see is teams like that, Washington State. Like, they weren't good enough. They don't deserve a chance to get to the tournament. So, you know, they they need to just keep it where it is, keep it on the one sheet and have fun there. Speaking of uh, keeping it where it is, I am broadcasting today Spirit Mountain Bet MGM Sportsbook. Uh, coming up, I want to talk about the teams in our state. Only the University of Portland women's team is participating in March Madness. The uh, Ducks, not part of the tournament. The Beavers, not part of the tournament, both in on the men's and women's side. The Vikings, not part of the tournament at Portland State. Which program are you most disappointed in not being part of the tournament? I'll give you my answer. We'll talk more about it next. <laughs> Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano, live from the BetMGM Sportsbook at Spirit Mountain Casino on 750 The Game. University of Portland women's uh, basketball team made the NCAA tournament field. They won the WCC Conference Tournament in Las Vegas. A week ago, pilots are dancing. They're headed to UCLA's uh, Poly Pavilion on Saturday, where uh, they will play. They are a 12 seed. They will play number five, Oklahoma, on Saturday. The winner of that game likely gets UCLA in the second round of the tournament. Good for the pilots. Good for Michael Meek. Good for uh, the coach there. Good for his players, who, especially those players three years ago who didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament despite winning the conference tournament. This is all good. Team charter taken off on Thursday. They will uh, practice and do media on Friday. They will play on Saturday and hopefully stick around until Monday where they would meet UCLA at Poly Pavilion and essentially a big road game for the pilots and a birth of the, to the Sweet 16 at stake. But um, I'm disappointed to not see the Ducks to not see the Beavers, to not see the Vikings uh, around this tournament this year. Uh, the men and women's programs at Oregon and Oregon State did not make the field, and I want to unpack that here. Who had the most disappointing season, or who are you most disappointed in and not seeing them in the bracket? Uh, I'm going to go first. I want your phone calls as well at 503-417-7575. But uh, Judah and Steven, you can weigh in as well. But I, uh, I'm disappointed. I'm going to say this. Like, Despite the fact that I saw, I was there when Oregon lost to UCLA the other night. Played a half of basketball and absolutely wilted. Will Richardson and his teammates, really disappointing performance by Oregon. Really surprised. Um, you know, they were so up and down this year. It thought that with their season on the line, they could put together two halves of basketball. They did not. They played a really good first half. They rebounded well. But when you shoot three for 18 from three, you're not going to win very many games, and you're not beating UCLA in that kind of game. Uh, so they go home, and uh, they start thinking about the NIT tournament. But as 
uh, as much as I am disappointed in them, and as much as I am disappointed in Wayne Tinkle's team, you know, not really mattering, finishing 11th in the Pac-12, uh, the bigger disappointment for me is not seeing Oregon and Oregon State in the women's NCAA tournament. Seven teams from the Pac-12 make the field. Neither uh, Oregon or Oregon State make it, and I'm disappointed, and I'm left wondering what happened at Oregon and what happened at Oregon State in that they, you know, they, they couldn't put together the consistency or uh, offer up the resume. I think the net ranking for Oregon certainly got them in the conversation, but 17-win team, just not enough victories for the selection committee to put them through and put them into the bracket. I think they do have a bit of a beef but they're not there, and Oregon State in a rebuilding or reloading year as well. So I'm going to say my biggest disappointment is not seeing one of the two great women's basketball programs in our state, Oregon and Oregon State, joining the Pilots in the women's bracket. For you guys, where's the biggest disappointment? For me, it's, it's got to be Oregon, uh, the men's team. I, this is two years in a row now with Dane Allman that they haven't performed as well as they should have. Um, I expected them to be in the NCAA tournament. And you look at the tournament field, John, on the men's side, only four teams from the Pac-12 make it. So the Pac-12 wasn't necessarily strong, and one of those teams was the first four team in Arizona State. So it's not as strong Pac-12, and Oregon still couldn't crack the crack into the NCAA tournament. I think that's rough. I also was a little disappointed in the Portland Pilots men's team. Uh, they had a really good year last year, and Ashante Leggins in his first year had a lot of momentum, brought a lot of players back. They go 5-11 and 11 in West Coast Conference play. I know the West Coast Conference was good, but I was expecting a little more. Their defense really fell off all season long. So for me, it's those two schools. But I would argue, John, on the women's side here, the, pa the Pac-12 Women's Conference was the best conference in the nation. So could I argue that because the conference is so good, that it's just one of those things where a couple bounces didn't go their way, and that's why Oregon and Oregon State had down years? Because you talk about the net. The net ranking was so high. But when you're in a good conference, just night in, night out, and you're playing you know, a really good team, ranked teams every night, isn't it tough and hard to expect you to keep winning games just every single season, year after year? Yeah, I think part of it is, look, we all bellyache about you know the Pac-12 network, distribution issues, no direct TV. That kills you in football. But you know where it helps you? It helps you in the non-revenue-generating sports like women's college basketball. There's no other conference in America that's got – the exposure that the Pac-12 women's teams get on the Pac-12 networks. Kelly Graves and Scott Ruick, Oregon coach, Oregon State coach, they love the Pac-12 network. Everybody else is going, oh, the Pac-12 network, I can't get it. They're out selling their programs saying, hey, you can be on TV. You can see you're going to be on TV. You're going to be televised. Well, guess what? Everybody else is doing that as well. It probably helps explain the strength of the Pac-12 when it comes to women's uh, basketball, Utah's really good this year. You know, everybody's looking at Utah going, what did they figure out? Well, they figured out they were in the Pac-12. That's part of it. Also, uh, they, you know, they, they were able to shoot well. They were the best shooting team from outside in the conference. Uh, Stanford being in the conference, you know, you always kind of pencil them in. I'm just surprised. I'm a little surprised that Oregon and Oregon State both stepped back in the way that they did. I mean, you talk about shooting. And Utah being able to shoot on the women's side. When I think of shooting, I don't think of the Oregon Ducks on the men's side. And, that, and I think that's where, for me, it's the biggest struggle and the biggest disappointment, John, because 294th in the nation in three-point percentage as a team. Like, that's that's not going to be good enough. And when you play in the Pac-12, and the pac 12s down this season, you've got to be able to make some shots. They couldn't do it consistently. They would do it for a half. They would do it for 10 minutes. And we saw that in the Pac-12 tournament against UCLA. They made a couple shots. Second half, they just go cold, couldn't create anything. 
I don't know if that's on Dana Altman. I don't know if that's on the player development, but something's got to change there where they get some shooters in there, whether it's a different type of recruit he's going after. they got to become better skilled players rather than just a lot of good athletes on that team. I think Dana Altman really likes the recruiting class that he has coming in, including Jackson Shellstad, the West Lynn kid. But uh, this team, I didn't like the leadership either. I didn't like Will Richardson's on-court leadership. He, he, to me, epitomizes kind of what Oregon basketball was this season. Yes, I know he had a hand injury. Yes, I know his hip was bothering him. But uh, I just didn't see much from him when it mattered down the stretch for Oregon. There just didn't seem to be the juice there, right? Like, it just didn't have juice. And, I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know if that's the leadership thing but or the players – or the coaches, but it just yeah. wasn't the juice. There's been the juice before when they went to the Final Four. They had Jordan Bell, and they had uh, Peyton Pritchard, and you know all those guys, Dylan Brooks. Like Those guys brought energy night in, night out. There just wasn't the energy there, and it's been like that for two seasons. So for me, like that just goes to the disappointment. So for, you know that's why i got to put them at number one on my disappointment ratings. It's two years in a row now that we've seen this. They just don't have the energy that they need night in, night out. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.